If you will turn in your Bibles to the first chapter, the Gospel of Luke, beginning in verse 26, as we continue our study through the Word. And so it had been God's plan of redemption 400 years since the nation had heard from God. God had told them that he would send the Messiah. God had told them that he would send the forerunner to the Messiah. And so 400 years of silence and suddenly God stands up and begins to move. He sends Gabriel, the archangel, who stands in his presence uh, to Israel, to the capital city of Jerusalem, to the temple, which is the very heartbeat, uh, and into the holy place. And there in the holy place, at the time that Gabriel arrives, uh, is Zacharias the priest. He has been chosen to offer incense there in the holy place uh, at the golden altar of incense, which sits just outside of the holy of holies. The nation is outside offering up their prayers and Zacharias puts the incense on the altar and, and as he does, the, the angel Gabriel appears to him and, and tells him to fear not, but that God has heard his prayers. And the prayer of his life had been that he and Elizabeth would have a child, would have a son someone to carry on the name, to pass the inheritance down to. And, and that had been the cry of their heart, and God heard that cry. And God sent Gabriel to go and to tell Zacharias that they would have a son. He said that they would enjoy, he would bring gladness and joy to them, but that many would rejoice at his birth, that he was going to come in the spirit and the power of Elijah, that he was going to be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb, that no alcohol was to ever cross his lips, that he was consecrated and dedicated unto the Lord. And that he was the Lord's. And so Zacharias was speechless. He was undone here before the, the archangel. And, and he asked, how can this be? And the archangel said to him, because you have not believed. He says, the Lord now will take away your voice for the entire time that that Elizabeth is going to be pregnant. But what God says he is going to do, God absolutely does. And the angel departed and Zacharias came out from the temple and he indeed was mute now. The ironic benediction that he was supposed to give to close off the morning prayers, he was unable. After he finished up his service the week that that he and his troop had had to to serve there at the at the temple he returned back to his home in Judea Judea was in the surrounding region right around Jerusalem to Elizabeth and this is now where we pick up the story because God now six months later stands up again and he sends Gabriel once more down to the earth once more with a message. But this time he doesn't go to Jerusalem. He doesn't go to the temple. He sends him instead up north. He sends him to the region of Galilee. Galilee to this day is an area that is rich in crops. It was the place where industry took place. If, if you wanted to become wealthy, you went to Galilee. If you wanted to be part of the political elite and part of the city life, you went to Jerusalem. But there in Galilee was the opportunity for commerce and, and success. There in Galilee was a little town called Nazareth. And Nazareth had a reputation. <laughs> Not the reputation you want. It was a reputation for being a tough place, a place of low morals and 
and corruption. And Nathaniel would say of, of Nazareth, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? And so you don't want to have that kind of a reputation. Can you imagine living in a city that has a bad reputation? You know, what that, <laughs> what that would be like. But it was to just such a city that God sent the angel Gabriel with an announcement. And so we pick it up here in the 26th verse of the first chapter of Luke's gospel. It says, now in the sixth month. Now this is the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. So marking time from his last visit. And so six months later, it says the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And so here we are introduced to Mary. The angel Gabriel is sent to Mary's house. And Mary lives there in Nazareth. We are told that she is a young virgin. So Probably she's around 15 years of age. That was a fairly common age uh, for them to become married. She is not exceptionally young. There is nothing exceptional in her age at all. We find that she is excited, though. She's excited because she is in one of the most exciting periods in a person's life. And that is when you are engaged. Uh, She is betrothed. And there were three parts to the Jewish marriage. There was, first of all, the engagement. And this was the formal agreement that was made by the fathers, by the families. They would come together and they would agree to the terms and offer their blessing uh, on the, the the, the marriage of uh, their children. And so that formal agreement, the, the dowry would be set and the terms of the marriage would be agreed upon. Secondly would come the betrothal. And so the betrothal had a ceremony where now the mutual promises uh, were made. At the end of uh, this ceremony, in the eyes of the law, you were considered to be legally married. Now, you would still go back to your family's houses. You would live underneath the authority of those houses until there would come the time of the marriage. Normally, that was about a year later, and that would take place when the groom would then come for his bride and take her from her house and bring her to his house. They would have the marriage ceremony there, and then they would have the the celebration, the the wedding supper feast that would last for a week's time. And so Mary is this young girl, and she is betrothed to Joseph. We know very little about Joseph, but a few things that we do know about him. Number one, that was that he was from the house of David. So he was from the royal line of David. But He was a carpenter. A carpenter is an honest job. You would make a living, but you were not going to be Bill Gates being a carpenter. You were not part of the elite. You were not part of the wealthy. You were not part of the upper class. You were a hardworking, solid character. He was righteous. Of his character, it was said that he was righteous. And so he had a royal bloodline. He had a humble occupation, but he was a righteous man before God. And so we have Mary, who is betrothed to Joseph. And it is now that time when when you are planning out uh, the next uh, season of your life. Truly, it is exciting to be around people that are engaged. They are so filled with dreams and hopes their whole life is before them. And and truly, marriage changes everything, you know. I mean, it changes your life completely. You come out 
from underneath the authority of the parents that you have been raised by. And now you form your own life. It is a time filled with hopes and dreams and, and talking about how you're going to decorate your house and your life and what it's going to be like. And, and so Mary had a plan for her life when suddenly now the archangel Gabriel shows up at her house. In fact, inside her house. Look at what it says in verse 28. It says, And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. And so Mary is inside of her house. We don't know the details. I would love to know the details. I would like to know, was this morning? Was this afternoon? Was this evening? But suddenly Mary's inside of her house doing whatever Mary was doing. I want to know that also. Was she doing dishes? Was she you know, working around the house? Uh, had she just finished eating? What was it that she was doing when suddenly she turns around? Did she turn around? I want to know, did the angel just appear in front of her like she's standing there and you know, the angel is just like right there. Or does he appear behind her and then she turns around and he's just suddenly there. But notice this. He doesn't knock on the door, you know, and she opens up and, oh, you're an angel, you know, uh, and invites him in. He's inside of her house. So that kind of has to be a little bit of unsettling. You know, when you have a stranger suddenly that is in your house that you don't recognize, but the first words out of his mouth, rejoice. I have got really good news for you. So you, are, you have reason to smile right now with the things that I have come to tell you. And then he tells her three things. Rejoice. Don't worry. He says three things. Highly favored. You're highly favored one. The Lord is with you. And blessed are you among women. So the first thing he says is rejoice. Highly favored one. Highly favored one. Okay, let's just remember who she is. She's a teenager. In her parents' house. She hasn't won any contests. She has no accolades in her life. She is not a person that has been recognized by the nation of Israel. She has no no accomplishments or achievements at all that the world would recognize or understand. She is just a young girl flying under the radar in a small town village in Galilee with not a great reputation that's engaged to Joseph. And suddenly the archangel of God appears to her and tells her rejoice, highly favored one. I'm not sure Mary felt highly favored uh, in her life. Secondly, the Lord is with you. The Lord is with you. And then third, and blessed are you among all women. She is a young teenage girl about to get married, and God says that you have been chosen to be exalted among all women. And so how do you receive those kinds of words when that's not how you woke up feeling that day, nor probably have you ever felt in your entire life? And it says in verse 29, but when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. To hear such extravagant words used of her. She didn't think of herself as being highly favored. And so as, as she is kind of trying to process this angel that's in her house, the words that he is saying, and, and suddenly now she becomes anxious. It says in verse 30, Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. 
this fear not, do not be afraid. You'll remember these were the same words that he had said to Zechariah when he visited Zechariah there inside the holy place in the temple in Jerusalem. And now he once again affirms to her, don't be afraid. Don't be anxious. And then he uses her name, Mary. What was that like to hear this angel who you never told what your name was, but suddenly now he knows your name and he uses your name out of left field to be able to tell you, don't worry, Mary. You have found favor with God. You have found favor with God. And so she is pleasing to the Lord. I want you to know something today. Hear the Lord say to you, you have found favor with him. God loves you. God cares about you. He has poured out his favor upon you in your life. If you have been saved, you have the Holy Spirit indwelling inside of you. He has washed away all of your sins. You are part of the kingdom of God and you have God's favor resting upon you. You have been adopted into his family and you have eternity assured to you. And so you have found favor. You found favor with God. And behold, verse 31, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. So I think that Mary was good being highly favored and being blessed and, and, and having found uh, favor until suddenly the angel says, and you're going to conceive in your womb. I think that would have been startling news to Mary at that point in time. Because she's engaged, she's betrothed to Joseph. And now suddenly the angel tells her that she is now going to conceive in her womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. So not only are you going to conceive, you're going to have a child, but the child is going to be a son and this is to be his name, Jesus. Now the name Jesus is a contraction of two Hebrew words, Jehovah and Shua. Jehovah Shua, Joshua is the name Jesus. And those two words, Jehovah means God and Shua means saves. The name Jesus means God saves. That is his name. And he will be given this name and this will be the name above all names. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow those in heaven and those on earth and those uh, under the earth. The angel continues to tell her about this child. In verse 32, it says, and he will be great, talking about her son that she is going to have, that he will be great. And truly, that is an understatement. Has anyone influenced the history of mankind more than Jesus Christ has? And so, that he will be great, and he will be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. And so here we have for the first time where Mary might have had an inkling now of uh, the true identity of Jesus. He says that he is going to sit uh, upon the throne of his father, David. Now, remember that the prophecy was given to David that from his lineage, uh, the Messiah was going to be born and he was going to sit upon the throne of David and his reign will have no end. So I want you to know that every single young woman, her hope was that she could be the mother of the Messiah. Now, if you were from the royal lineage of David, that helped. If you weren't from the lineage of David, you would have to marry somebody who would be of the lineage of David in order for you to have the Messiah. We are going to see that Mary herself comes from the lineage of David. Joseph also comes from the lineage of David. In Matthew's gospel, it begins with the genealogy of Joseph, and we see that his bloodline is traced all the way back to King David because Jesus will, by the cultural standards, be considered the son of Joseph. 
But by bloodline, his bloodline is fully going to come through Mary. But Mary is also connected to the house of David, which means that she knows that she could be the mother of the Messiah. Here, the angel tells her, your son is going to be a king. He is going to sit upon the throne of David. And then he goes on, and he will reign over the house of Jacob for how long? Forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. And so here, the promise that the Messiah is going to rule and reign forever. In Isaiah, it says of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice. From that time forward, even forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. And so suddenly this angel has now said that he comes straight from God with this message that you are going to have a son. His name is going to be Jesus. He is going to sit upon the throne of David. And of his reign, there will be no end. And so Mary now is trying to process all that she is hearing. And in verse 34, we see her response. And Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I do not know a man? It's almost as if she's asking this embarrassing question here of, you know, how can this be? Because I don't. And so, but she's not asking it in doubt uh, the way that Zacharias doubted what the angel was saying. Zacharias was told that they're going to have a son, but he was like, I'm old, she's old. (laughs) We can't have a son. This can't be, this can't happen. And so he doubted. Uh, Hers was more of of a question of, can can we explain the problem? a little bit uh, here of how this is going to actually transpire. And the angel answers uh, that. The angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. And therefore also that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. And so we see here that and it says that the Holy Spirit will come upon you. In other words, this was going to be a creative act of the Holy Spirit. And it says, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Well, the word overshadow means to cover with a cloud. That's what that word overshadow means. You'll be covered with the Shekinah cloud of God. The, the cloud is the presence of God. And, and just like the Shekinah glory and the cloud of transfiguration, it's a visible manifestation of the glory and the presence of God. And so here we see that the Holy One now that is to be born will be called the Son of God. She was told that she was going to have a son. So it's going to be the son of Mary. But now she is told that this son that she is going to have is going to be called the Son of God. In verse 36, it says, Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. And so with this amazing promise that that Gabriel has just given to Mary, he also now brings evidence. Elizabeth, who is barren, is now with child. She is six months pregnant. Pregnant. Now, Mary has not checked her Facebook in quite a while here and has not discovered this news that is six months old at this time. But she now is directed here with this confirmation that Elizabeth is also pregnant. If God can do that, then he can do what he promised for Mary. And now he declares... In verse 37, for with God, nothing will be what? Nothing will be impossible. Say that with me. For with God, nothing will be impossible. Do you believe that this morning? 
Do you believe that with all of your heart, with every soul of your existence, do you believe that God has no limitations and that absolutely nothing is impossible with God? It's important for you to know that absolute truth because there are going to be times in our lives when, when we are going to be tested with that. There are times in, in marriages and in relationships when it can feel like this relationship is impossible, that it is impossible. There can be times in our lives when we are faced with health issues and concerns where, where we are saying this is impossible. This looks absolutely impossible. There can be times in our lives when we face financial burdens and stresses that, that look absolutely impossible in our life. And it is important that we understand and recognize and we know in the core of our soul that with God, nothing will be impossible. So what do you do in your life when you get to one of those moments where it just simply looks impossible? You pray. You trust God with all of your heart and you take the next step and you watch God move. And God will move. And you will make it through with God's help. And he will write the testimony of the reality of this verse in your heart and in your life. For with God, nothing will be impossible. And if you are facing the impossible today, then you hold on to that truth with both hands. Trust him with all of your heart. Just take a step forwards and watch the door open, the window open, the crack that allows you to pass through, break open in your life. God is for you. He is with you. He will never leave you. He will never depart from you. You have been made for victory through the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. And trust Him and know that with God, there is no such word as impossible. In verse 38, we see that Mary then answers. And then Mary said, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Mary's response was to declare her identity. She declared who she was. She says, I am a servant of the Lord. Look upon the servant of the Lord. Whatever God's will is for my life, that is what I want. I am the servant of the Lord. Can we affirm that identity in our life? Do you affirm that you are the servant of God? Whatever God's will is in your life, that's what you want over your own will. That's exactly what she says. Let it be to me according to your word. Your will over my will in my life. That's what I want. Do you realize that those are the same words that her son will echo in the garden of Gethsemane? When he says, nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. Those are the very same words that Mary responds to Gabriel. Not my will. What was her will? Her will was to get married to a carpenter in Nazareth and to be a carpenter's wife and to fly underneath the radar and to just have a happy existence there. But what was God's will? That she would be exalted among all women. That she was chosen to raise God's son. I wonder about Mary. I wonder what kind of personality did she have? Was she the bubbly, cheerful young girl and outgoing and expressive? And, and was that who she was? Or was she more of the introvert? Was she more of a quiet, meditative, thoughtful type of a, a woman? Was she a girl that sang a lot? Did she sing to Jesus? Uh, uh, or was she one that more cooed at him and just uh, nurtured him of all of the the gifts and the talents and the personalities? What was the makeup that God put together to, to choose for his son? Nevertheless, not my will, 
but your will be done. Is that a statement that echoes from your heart, from your life? Do you want God's will over your will? Because you see, just as Mary had that choice, you have that same choice. And you make it every single day. Of whether or not you are busy with your life or whether you want to chase God's life. And what is God's will for your life? I promise you, God's will for your life is far superior to any life that you can go and wander after, believing and hoping that it's going to make you happy. Because God created you, and He knows where the blessings are in your life. And He has a purpose and a plan for your life. But you have to receive that purpose and that plan, just as it was offered to Mary, but Mary had to say yes. And she had to subordinate her life now to receive his will. And does his will come without problems and trials and circumstances? Absolutely not. As Mary says, yes, she now is receiving the blessing of God, but also the tremendous difficulties of trying to accomplish God's will in your life. It doesn't mean that it's going to be an easy life, but it does assure you that it will be purposeful and that it will be blessed. And so she says, I'm in. I want God's will. I want God's will more than I want my will. And let's roll. And so it says the angel departed from her. And, and now suddenly, I, I, I just love to think about this. So the Shekinah glory of the angel, you know, the angel now suddenly departs and she's just back, you know, in her house. And it's like, what just happened? You know, I mean, whatever she was about to do on her to-do list suddenly, you know, was unimportant uh, after that. And, and suddenly after she says yes to God comes the realization, Joseph, what does this mean? I am now going to be pregnant here. And it's not Joseph's child. But I've done nothing wrong. I was just doing the dishes, honestly. I mean, really. But the news that she has, who's going to believe that? How how do you tell somebody that you're pregnant and it's an angel and it's God's child and I, I wasn't unfaithful? Right. Did you think I fell off the turnip truck yesterday? I mean, come on, seriously? That's the best story you could come up with? <laughs> I mean, and here's Mary. Like, who is going to believe her? Who's going to believe her? Is she going to go and tell her parents that? Is she going to go and try and tell Joseph that? And, and what does the Lord do? The Lord reminds her, Elizabeth, Elizabeth. Elizabeth is pregnant right now. And so suddenly Mary just can think of one thing. I have to get to Elizabeth. I have to get to Elizabeth. And that's her next step. And, and what she's going to do after that, she has no idea. But she's just she's going to make her way to Elizabeth. And it says in verse 39, Now Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste to a city of Judah and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. So she knew her next step was to just get there. But getting there is not so easy because uh, Nazareth is between 50 and 70 miles away from Judea in the towns uh, that are in Judea. And the bus lines weren't running back then. (laughs) I wonder, does she even tell her parents? I wonder if she just leaves a note. Gotta go see Elizabeth. Be back soon. <laughs> and, and off she goes to make, to be a young teenager, female, and to make this journey all the way through the, the nation. There were dangerous stretches and it would be hard for her to travel on her own. But she knows that she just has to get to Elizabeth's house. And she finally gets there. And no doubt in my mind that along the way, she, she was trying to figure out how she is going to say this. Have you ever had 
a difficult conversation that you've had to have in your life? And did you not find yourself kind of trying to rehearse the conversation and the words and how this was going to play out? And, and no doubt that's exactly what Mary was doing on this entire journey to her cousin's house. I mean, how do you start that conversation? <laughs> Hi, Elizabeth. Has anything like really crazy happened to you lately? <laughs> No. Well, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> you know, I mean, how do you bring that the the subject up? And so this is this is the weight of what her young teenage shoulders were carrying as she comes in. How am I going to even say this? And here is God's grace. Because God goes before her. And God empowers Elizabeth with the Holy Spirit. And watch this. Mary never even says a word. She walks in and greets Elizabeth. And God knows exactly what Mary needs. And God sends through the Holy Spirit, through Elizabeth, every single thing that Mary is afraid of is going to be ministered to instantly before Mary can even express what's inside of her heart. Watch how God moves here. And so she enters the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth, and it happened. When Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, that the babe leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Now remember how it was that her son, John the Baptist, was filled with the Holy Spirit even while he's inside the womb. Well, the filling of the Holy Spirit is a special empowerment of the Holy Spirit to be able to fulfill a task. And here, what we're going to see is we're going to see her operate with the gifts of the Spirit. She is going to prophesy, and she's also going to have a word of knowledge. She is going to have information that she had no way of knowing that's going to come directly from God through the Holy Spirit here. And so the Holy Spirit is now fills her up. And in verse 42, it says, and then she spoke out with a loud voice and said, blessed are you among women. Now remember, that's exactly what Gabriel had said to her. Blessed are you among women. The very first words out of Elizabeth's mouth is to quote the angel's words uh, that Gabriel had just said to her. How comforting would that have been that these were the first words that came out of her mouth? And then the second thing, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Hey, you're pregnant. Awesome. <laughs> and she hasn't even said uh, uh, a word. Blessed is the fruit of your womb. And then verse 43. But why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Now remember how she might have thought that it's possible that her son is the Messiah because of the fact that the angel said that he would sit upon the throne of Jacob forever. But now all of a sudden Elizabeth out of her own mouth, what does she say? How is it that the mother of my Lord, the mother of my Savior, has come to visit me. And so suddenly now we have this exhortation. For indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. And blessed is she who believed. Who is it that believed? Mary. And blessed is she who believed. For there will be a fulfillment of those things which were told her from the Lord. And those are the words that greet Mary as she comes in with this unbelievable burden placed upon her shoulders, listen, by wanting to do the will of God in her life. And here's what happens. God meets us right where we need to be met. He strengthens us right in our weakness. Whenever you are doing the will of God, God is going to help you every step of the way. And so we just do the next step. What was Mary's next step? Go see Elizabeth that the angel had told her about. She takes the next step and God meets her right there and he strengthens her. We, you hear oftentimes where God guides what? 
God provides. God will provide. If God has guided you, he will meet you with the resources necessary for you to be victorious in whatever he is guiding you in. Is he guiding you to be a godly wife? He is going to help you to be a godly wife. Is he calling you to be a godly husband? God is going to help you to be the godly husband that he is calling you to be. Is he calling you to be a godly son right now and to be respectful to your parents? God is going to enable you and equip you to be able to be respectful. Whatever God calls you to, he is going to be the strength. He is going to give you the provision to be able to do whatever it is that is his will in your life. And so Mary takes that step and what happens? God meets her right there and suddenly now tells her that the, you know, the, that that this is from the Lord, these things are going to be fulfilled and that you are the mother of my Lord. And what is Mary's response to all of this in verse 46? And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord. She's just undone. She's just like, God, you are so good. Her biggest fear that no one would understand, that no one believed her. What did Mary need? She needed someone in her corner to believe what she was saying. That's what she needed more than anything else at that point. And, and what happens is Elizabeth says, I believe you before she even says it. And isn't this awesome? And you are blessed by the Lord. And the whole burden on her shoulders just came right off in one second. And what does Mary instantly do say? Oh, God, you are so good. My soul magnifies the Lord. And my spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior, for he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. For behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. I love that. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. And that's her expression. Is that not our expression here today as well? Can we not say, for he who is mighty has done great things uh, in my life. Uh, And so here we echo that. And holy is his name. And his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. So for those who fear him, we're going to experience his mercy. What does that mean to fear God? It means that we have a healthy respect for God's opinion on things as compared to those who don't have a respect of God. In fact, for those who don't even believe that God is, they are not going to experience his mercy, but we will experience his mercy. And he has shown with strength with his arm, And he has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. And he has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. Mary is connected to that, that God is the one that exalts the lowly because he exalted her above all women. And she recognized that that she was lowly but God had exalted her. She was a young teenager just starting off in her life. And he has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. And he has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. He has promised to the nation of Israel that he would send the Messiah. And now he is sending the Messiah. He has remembered uh, and helped his servant Israel. And as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his seed forever. And through the child that she was to bear, God was being merciful to Abraham and his descendants. And we are the descendants of Abraham, the spiritual descendants of Abraham. There is the promise of Christ to the physical descendants of Abraham, and there is the promise of Christ to the spiritual descendants of Abraham. In Galatians 3.29, Paul says, and if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. And it says in verse 56, and Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her house. She stays with Elizabeth during those final three months, the final trimester of her pregnancy. And no doubt Mary was of great help to her during that, that, those final three months. But then it was time for her to return. There was a conversation that she needed to have back home with Joseph. 
And I wonder if she dreaded uh, more the the conversation that she had to have with Elizabeth in the hopes that she would somehow believe her or with the conversation that she now had to have with Joseph. And maybe it was that the response of Elizabeth encouraged her and strengthened her to be able to go back and to have this conversation with Joseph. And hey, who knows? She didn't even have to say anything to Elizabeth. Elizabeth already knew and was on board with that. So maybe the same thing would happen with Joseph. (laughs) It doesn't. (laughs) But we'll look at how she tells Joseph next time and what happens uh, uh, next uh, as we gather and we close our study here. And as we close, I just want to draw attention to verse 33 where it says, And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. His kingdom is the kingdom of God that Jesus Christ came to set up. You see, he came to set up the the kingdom that we could enter into. And that kingdom is what we refer to as heaven. You see, up until Christ came to set up his kingdom, there was nobody in heaven. Heaven was closed. And the reason was that there was no forgiveness of sin yet until the Lamb of God, until Christ came and lived out his life and then was able to offer his life up as that sacrifice that washes away the sin. He was declaring, I've come to set up the kingdom. And he says, and I'm the door. And I'm the only door into the kingdom of God. And when you come through me, your sins are washed away and you can enter in. And that's why the gates of heaven were closed. Because you see, God will not allow sin to enter into heaven. Heaven is perfect and God is holy. And so he will not have sin come in and defile heaven. But every single one of us is a sinner. And that's the problem. And so Christ came so that he could live out the perfect life, be the Lamb of God, and then he could wash our souls so that we could enter into the kingdom of God. Listen, the kingdom of God is here. It's now. And we're invited to come and to enter into it. And once we're in the kingdom of God, death doesn't then kick us out of the kingdom of God. We then go on into heaven. We relocate, but we're still within the kingdom of God. You see, you're either in the kingdom of God right now or you're outside of the kingdom of God. And everybody that's in the kingdom of God, well, we just simply relocate into God's presence in heaven. But if you're outside of the kingdom of God now, you will be outside of the gates of heaven and that for all eternity. And that's what Christ came to to declare, that the gates are open and that I am the door and that you can come in through me. Every single one of us in this room right now Everybody listening to us on the internet, we are either in the kingdom or out of the kingdom right now. That's the only two places that every single person is. But here's God's will. God's will is that every single one of us would be in his kingdom. God wills that none should perish, that every single person would come. The sad truth is not everybody does come. Not everybody believed Christ when he came and lived and he spoke the words in front of them and not everybody believes even to this day. But I'm not concerned with everybody right now. I'm concerned with you. Where are you today? Have you ever accepted Christ and had your sins washed? Are you in the kingdom or are you out of the kingdom? If your life was to be required of you today, do you know that you're in the kingdom? Or have you never taken that step in your life? And I couldn't possibly close this service without giving every single one of us a chance, an opportunity to say, yes, I want to be in the kingdom of God. I recognize and I understand that I've never been in the kingdom. I want you to know, coming to church doesn't put you in the kingdom. Singing worship songs does not put you into the kingdom. Having parents that believe does not put you in the kingdom of God. Having godly friends won't get you in. Godly parents can't get you in. Godly grandparents can't get you in. A seat with your name and a bench dedicated doesn't get you in. I want you to know something else. Baptism doesn't get you in. Only inviting Christ into your heart, into your life, and letting him wash away your sins, that's the only thing that gets you in. And every single person has to choose that for yourself. That's the whole reason God gave you free will, so that you could choose to love him. 
to receive his love and to give his love in return and to enter into that relationship. And so we're going to close with a worship song. The kingdom of God. The doors are open right now, today, to you. And all you need to do is just stand up out of your chair while we worship and come to the front. And I'm going to invite you to enter into the kingdom of God. I'm just going to say a simple prayer with however many people are here at the front at the end of the song. And I'm just going to lead you in a simple prayer. I can't pray it for you. I can give you the words, but you need to take those words and you need to make it your prayer to the God that created you, that's been waiting your whole life for this moment. It's been waiting to take you into his arms and wash away your sin and to be connected and to put the Holy Spirit inside of you. The greatest gift that you'll ever receive in your entire life. God's spirit inside of you. And so if that's you, if you want that, then now is your time. You have to respond. God invites, but you got to say yes. God invited Mary. She had to say yes. God invites you. You got to say yes. And so this is your time to say yes. And so if you want to say yes, you just stand up and come. Stand up and come now to receive Christ. Let's worship. I want to thank you for joining us for our message today. And right now in the sanctuary, they are having an opportunity to respond to the things that they just heard. How God loves them and his great desire is to be reconciled with each and every one of us and how sin separates us, but that God sent his son to remove our sins. If you have never invited Jesus Christ into your heart to be your personal Lord and Savior, God's great desire is that you would accept that invitation. So if you would like to receive Christ, I'm going to lead you in a simple prayer and you will be a child of God and have the security of knowing that when you depart from this life that you will enter into eternal glory with God in heaven. If that's your desire, then let's pray together to the God that created you that has been waiting his entire life to enter into your heart and your life. So pray with me now. Heavenly Father, I confess that I'm a sinner. I have not lived a perfect life. Jesus, I invite you into my heart to be my Lord and Savior. I believe that you died, were buried, rose again, and have ascended into heaven. Thank you for forgiving me of all of my sins. And I thank you that I am now your child forever. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. And if you just prayed that prayer, I want to welcome you into the family of God. Now it's going to be so important for you as a believer to be reading the Word of God on a daily basis and to be praying. I also want to encourage you to get plugged into a local church and at the same time continue to join us as we study through the Word. Once again, congratulations and welcome to the family of God.